Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports England through to a European final on home soil Wembley 5 o'clock Sunday is looming very large and it has made a seismic impact on the sporting landscape across the country huge viewing figures the hype to match and a 4-0 win against Sweden last night Sweden being one of the best teams in the world has ratcheted things up all the more. Very happy to say, football journalist and broadcaster Jackie Oatley is with us. Evening, Jackie. Good evening. As is your want over there, you're taking this all very calmly. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we don't like to make a song and dance, literally, <laughs> of reaching a final. Yes. It, well, I mean, I know England men got to the final last summer, but this does feel pretty special. I think it's the nature and the manner of their approach to the tournament and the way the nation's been swept up in it all. Yeah, for sure. So even just uh, the game last night, there was a peak audience of 9.3 million on BBC One and that excludes fan parks, that excludes streaming platforms. So comfortably past the 10 million mark and there's endless coverage in the media. This tournament does seem to have landed from uh, a women's football perspective, Jackie, like none before. It does, and I've covered pretty much every tournament since Euro 2005, which was also in England. And each time we had a peak in interest, especially if England were to do well or or score a great goal or win a game, we'd have those little peaks. And then, unfortunately, we haven't necessarily always capitalised on that in terms of what's happened with you know the next league fixtures or attendances for the next England game. And there's been a few ups and downs over the years, to say the least, but... Yes, I agree with you. This time does feel different. The only caveat is that this time a decade ago, Team GB beat Brazil at Wembley Stadium in front of 70,000 people. And that felt like a huge moment, such as the one we're talking about now. Then they unfortunately flopped against Canada. And the following Women's FA Cup final was, was, was devastatingly low turnout, the 4,000-odd at Doncaster. And it's just been a case of never really being able to build on the success of eyeballs on the big games. But I do feel that this time it will be different, but only if clubs now pick up the baton, so to speak, to use the Olympic analogy, and and really market the league games to fans to create a new match-going culture. That's essential now. Mm. To last night's win against Sweden 4-0, that's not really meant to happen against Sweden. They've been in our qualification group for... Uh, the World Cup, so we have a, a real sense of just how good they are. Uh, initially, England had to weather a storm, but then 4-0 was quite something. Well, that's right. They're the second highest-ranked team in the whole world behind the United States, so they beat 3-0 at the Olympics last summer, and Sweden was just a penalty kick away from winning gold in that tournament. And they're the highest-ranked side in Europe, of course, and they have so many experienced players. This was the time for this squad to really flourish and to finally become the brides instead of the bridesmaids as they've perennially been and they haven't been great this tournament and then they were hit by a couple of bouts of covid and injury and it really has knocked them to six because they haven't had the strength and depth that england has had and i think after the initial shock of them coming out the trap so quickly the goalkeeper mary Ertz making a fine save in the opening 30 seconds or so and england getting that goal before half time and then the second one from lucy bronze after half time really calm things down and the game plan worked to perfection. As you say, this doesn't normally happen, but I think the missing ingredient now, as well as 
the full-time professionalism, the development of the WSL and the influx of support from DFA, as well as that they have the missing piece of the jigsaw, which is the manager, Sandra Wiegmann, Serena Wiegmann, excuse me, who is an absolute um, top class operator in everything that she does. And of course, she, she lifted this trophy in 2017 with her home nation. She's never lost the European Championship match. An iconic moment always helps, and Russo certainly provided that as well. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what it felt like at the time, watching that third goal, which England kind of needed really to seal the deal? It felt like, you know, when you've got the kids in the car and you're motoring down the road and there's an unexpected hill and you go down and the kids will squeal in the back of the car because your stomach's gone upside down. It felt like that because she just had a chance she hit straight at the goalkeeper Lindahl and then you're expecting her to gather the ball and then and, and turn back inside and look for support and lay it off and this ridiculous back heel which unfortunately nutmegs the goalkeeper unfortunately for the goalkeeper it, it was just one of those moments of an adrenaline rush of something so impudent so unexpected so thrilling and the fact that it really did seal the game for England and take the wind out of Sweden sailed meant that suddenly the, the arch was looming large, the, the lights were up and we could start dreaming of a final on Sunday against either France or Germany. And there's been a variety to the way this English team has won games. The previous encounter against Spain was uh, more about resilience in the face of adversity and grinding a game out. So uh, how talented is this English group, Jackie? Are they more than the sum of their parts or would they have a squad to match anybody in the competition? Well, that's the interesting thing. They, they do have the squad and they have the right mentality to go with it as well. And, and it's interesting, we, we keep seeing Alessia Russo come off the bench and do great things. She's not played a minute of first-half football in this entire tournament, yet she's got four goals and an assist and could have had many more as well. Um, but it is absolutely a squad game. And we talk about Russo, but there's Beth England. who's a fantastic number nine for Chelsea and for England, who we, we, you know, we just haven't seen. No one's talked about her. Um, so the strength and depth in a variety of positions on this occasion is certainly greater than previous years. It's greater than some of the other teams. And it was really, really nice from a commentator's point of view, because I've been commentating on this tournament for the World Feed for UEFA, mm. was commentating on France, Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, England. Well, we thought Norway were going to be in there and they've been a disappointment. But really, all those teams at the, head of the, at the start of the tournament, any of them could have won it. And to have England up there as actually the lowest ranked side in the top four, but performing as they are, has been really, really positive. And I think the, um, the fact that they have such a strong squad, they have the mentality that it's, it really is a case of whoever starts, whoever comes on, Whoever comes on late has barely kicked a, game, a ball. If nobody's kicked a ball in this tournament, then they're still very much part of the squad. That mentality, uh, the team support that they have behind the scenes provided by the FA, it's all been huge. But they still have one huge hurdle to overcome for this really to be the most incredible campaign. Mm. Everybody is paying homage to Serena Wiegmann, who you mentioned as well, their coach. And England are currently unbeaten in 19, which is uh, quite extraordinary. Just to chart relatively uh, recent history, Jackie, you've been covering the women's team uh, for a long time, as you said. Uh, the Phil Neville era obviously preceded this Vigman era. He was appointed in January of 2018 and subsequently left for Inter Miami and David Beckham. And to be fair to Neville, he finished fourth at the World Cup and then form seemed to dip. They lost seven 
in 11 games. So things weren't going well uh, at the time of his departure. How does the Neville appointment now look in retrospect? Because certainly at the time there was uh, a worry that this was uh, something of a, a cheap publicity trick and that, you know, hiring uh, a male with a high profile who had no real coaching experience to take the national team, I mean, the most important team in the country, uh, was um, sending out all the wrong messages really about the women's game. Yeah, I can understand the criticism from the outside about it and that it was pretty controversial at the time. But in fairness to Phil Neville, he didn't actually apply for the job. What happened was they went through a process and they narrowed down the um, number of candidates to three and then they did the due diligence and they decided that actually those three weren't suitable for whatever reason. And so they had to suddenly come up with a plan B and cast their net a little further afield and instead of starting the whole process again they decided to approach somebody who they knew was in their pathway of coaching who they had great hopes for of becoming a special coach and a manager he had only taken charge of one game as a caretaker of Salford City so didn't have managerial experience as such um, but it was very unusual circumstances at the time and in fairness to him he approached it wholeheartedly he gave it everything I know people who worked with him, who said he was very genuine. The players really liked him. They loved his approach. He fought for everything that he could for them because he saw them not necessarily getting top-class travel arrangements, and, and he fought for that kind of thing. And the profile as well was raised, although I don't think that was necessarily what they were appointing him for. Um, but you can't argue with the fact that he didn't have that experience at the time through no fault of his own. And so really... This is the first time, I think it's fair to say, that England have really got the appointment right. right. And they had Hope Powell for 15 years. She also had no experience at all. And she was asked to take up the role. And, and she fought for many for many changes right from scratch, really. But um, Mark Sampson didn't have much experience either. Uh, and Phil Neville either. And then this is where we are now with somebody who is universally popular, so well respected, and... She could do something really special on Sunday and I think we're all hoping that's going to be the case. Mm. Ian Wright went viral last night on the BBC because in the midst of the celebration he made a fairly core point and I uh, wanted to ask you about it. So here's a taster of Ian Wright again. This is in the midst of the, the euphoria and the celebrations last night on BBC. Whatever and, happens in the Ian final Wright's now, if, we're not, if, we're, if, if, if girls are not allowed to play football just like the boys can in their PE after this tournament then what we're doing they've got we've got to make sure that they are able to play and get the opportunity to do this because this is going to inspire a lot of people but if there's no legacy to this like what we saw with the Olympics if there's no legacy after this then what are we doing because girls should be able to play because this is as proud as I've ever felt of any England side this is what it's about so Jackie, I don't know, to an Irish audience it was slightly confusing because Ian Wright was saying the girls have to be allowed to play football and I kind of thought, well, surely they are and, and just looking into it today, it seems in the UK and, and I don't know what the case is here, it must be said, but 37% of girls aren't offered football at PE. There's a campaign to try and uh, get that number down to 25% by 2024, but that is, that is quite seismic. It seems the traditional sports like hockey and netball are very available, but not football. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's pretty annoying, really, that in 2022, it takes a high-profile bloke on television <laughs> to say these things for, for this kind of subject to be raised. Um, but that's where we are. We're still not fully there. And the FA launched a campaign to ensure that every little girl 
has access to football at primary school. And that's really where we have to aim for. It, it sounds really obvious, doesn't mm, it? I mean, yeah. but, but it's just the case that there is that residual hangover from the FA ban, from the lack of opportunities. My generation, I'm in my 40s now, we weren't allowed to kick a ball. I asked my PE teacher at my all-girls school, can we play football? And it was a flat no. So I had to buy myself a ball and practice keepy-uppies and teach myself that was it until I went to university and made a beeline for the women's football team desk. And that's when I kicked a ball for the first time at the age of 17 in a team environment and had coaching. And so where we are now is that my daughter's 11 and even at her school, it hasn't always been the case that they can play in the playground. And as we know, little boys often are given balls when little girls are given dolls. And so they get very comfortable with the ball at their feet and they bash around with their mates in the playground. And sometimes that's not necessarily a very welcoming environment for little girls. So it has to be a case that girls can play from an early age and are encouraged and and ideally coached as well um, to make them feel that they can achieve what they want in the future. And just imagine if we are where we are now with this squad of England players, some of whom used to have to pay to play and used to have to work full time, the likes of Jill Scott, for example. Imagine where we'll be in 10, 20 years' time, not just in England, but in Ireland, in Scotland, in Wales, across Europe, across the world, if little girls are given those opportunities not only to play, but they're encouraged to play and they're coached and the goalkeepers get goalkeeper coaching, all the things that little boys and lads and men have had and taken for granted for decades and centuries. And think of the talent pool that we'll have available and think of the quality of these European Championships and World Cups in years to come. Jackie, France, Germany is just about to kick off. Who's likely to win and who would England prefer in the final? Phenomenally good question. They're very different. I think the French individually have some superstars. Look out for Diani if you're watching it, the number 11 for France, the right of the front for Italy, that she can play centrally. She's super exciting. Cascarino, she's allowed to get onto her right foot. Individually, the French can really hurt Germany, but I've done a few of the German games as well, and they are, as you would expect from Germany, a well-oiled machine, cliche alert, and they have individuals as well as a team ethic. So England... If you're going to let England actually win this whole thing, then Germany every time after the 6-2 trouncing in the 2009 final in Helsinki um, and just because of the tradition. But um, I think they have equal chance against either, but if they could take a win against either, it would be the Germans. Okay, very good. Well, we'll watch with interest over the next couple of days. Jackie Oatley, much appreciated. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Jackie Oatley there, uh, football broadcaster, commentator, journalist and our football coverage on Off the Ball is brought to you by Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports.